I'm kidding. I, I think Graham Norton's amazing. Yeah, I just meant. Graham, if you're listening. <laughs> this is big a fan. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of I Don't Know History, hosted by yours truly, Alex, and my co-host, RJ Davis. Oh, we're using last names, are we? Apparently. I don't know. I, you introduced me. I panicked. I was about to say my last name and stopped. I think... I, I, I think... I don't know. History. There we <laughs> go. We, we, we have begun. Let's jump in. RJ. Yes. Do you remember much about last episode? Um, Iranian. 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 What are you, George W. Bush? Uh, ding, 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 ding. It's hardly political. It's hardly political. Uh, the revolution. Yes. I uh, went through. Uh, I don't remember. You've put me way on the spot, like for for the quiz right here. I wasn't expecting the quiz today. This is not the quiz. Uh, it's just a taste. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I remember some bits. Do you remember uh, any people's names? No, when do I remember people's names? When I'm you... surprised that every... The reason why you have to introduce yourself every week on this podcast <laughs> is because I forget your name. When you write them down. <laughs> you wrote down names last time, yeah, do you okay. remember? So, if we're talking writing stuff down... Making me... It's the entire t- desk collapses. The, t- the desk is gone. The desk is over. Uh, if we're talking that... Uh, oh, I did ask you about the Gregorian calendar. Last mm. week as well. So. I don't know why you wrote that down. It's nothing to do with. No, because I wanted it for later <laughs> to, to research that. Operation Ajax. What was uh, Operation Ajax? That was CIA and CSS in 1953. OSS. OSS. Yeah, CSS is like a. And the Savak, the secret isn't, police. Isn't CSS like a, a type of scripting? It's, yeah, that's what I, I read. <laughs> it's it like and HTML. I was like, why did I write CSS? But I think I was just. Panicking. What is Savak? Uh, Savak is the secret police. Who's secret police? Um, I have a name here. I'm going to guess. Uh, Aitola Homani. That is incorrect. Uh, is it Mohammed Respolavi? Respolavi. Yes. There we go. There secret police. All right, cool. So, uh, Mohammed Mossadegh. He was the prime minister. Cool. He was the one who they answered in Operation Ajax. Ah, right. Cool. So all my notes are relevant. They're just panic written. Yes. Cool. And important in asterisks is... Ali Shariati. I probably shouldn't have said he was that important. I I said, remember his name because it'll come up later. Rather than saying he's an important figure in the revolution. So this is your catch up on last week's episode. Feel free to go listen and also follow us at Podmage and recommend us episodes to do in future. Speaking of recommendations, RJ, we were recommended the topic of this episode by underscore James Linane on Twitter. Yes, thank you, James. James, thank you for your recommendation. Um, I hope you feel gratified and vindicated. Vindicated is not the right word at all. By our <laughs> choice of topic today, because, RJ, we are focusing on ancient Greece. Nice. Now, when I say ancient Greece, ancient Greece is an enormous... Period of an time. An enormous topic. So I've talked about the like the Industrial Revolution and stuff like that, I think, in certain places. Um, or certain revolutions that have happened. Not revolutions that have happened, but cultural upheavals that have happened, let's say. Now, in Greece, it was probably the biggest cultural upheaval in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. How the Greeks went from, you know, not really being a, a sustainable culture, not really knowing that much about agriculture, to becoming the most successful culture in 
in yeah. the history of the world. <laughs> you know, except perhaps the Romans. Mm-hmm. And that happened in about well, between 800 and 150 BC. So a span okay. of about 750 years, which is a huge amount, a very short amount of time to accomplish a huge amount of I really don't know that much progress. About, uh, about ancient Greece and the Romans in general. Like, I know that, well, I obviously know that they exist, but the timelines between them, do they exist at these same times? No. They were far apart, were they? Because um, I feel like their influence is very similar. They were very, very close together, in fact. Oh. One almost immediately preceded the other. Oh, okay, Greece that's was, interesting. Greece was a part of the Roman Republic. Oh, right. It was uh, annexed in 146 BC. Okay. So that brings me on to my first point. Um, RG, do you know what the word circa means? Uh, okay, all I know is like circa around is typically yes, how I take it. Yes, histori- it's like a historical term meaning... Around, then... Hereabouts. Yeah. You know? So it's like R.J. Davis born circa... Circa 1990, something like that. Like circa 99, somewhere so, around there. Because I just wanted to point that out, because the first word I've written in my notes is circa. Okay. So circa 800 BC. Now, you need to nice. keep in mind that the years go backwards now. BC, so we'll be going 800, so, 700, 600. Yes. Okay, so cool. you've got to remember that 510 BC is later than 600 BC. Yeah, okay. When I was doing research, it, it kind of got to me a little bit. <laughs> because you forget. Because you're, you're a historian, not a mathematician. Well, when you're talking, in historical terms, when you're talking about um, like a time frame of ancient Greece or ancient Rome, where it's preceded by the fact that you're in BC, they yeah. drop the BC. Okay. So it's like, oh, starting in 1000 BC, blah, 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 blah. And then four paragraphs later, it says, and then in 894... And you think, what, what? And then you have to think, oh yeah, BC. Yeah, yeah. So, circa 800 BC, Mm -hmm. ancient Greece became a thing. Popped into existence. Obviously, it wasn't called ancient Greece at the time. No one called it ancient Greece because that would have been ridiculous. Um, Prior to this was what was known as the Greek Dark Ages. RJ, do you know why periods in history are called Dark Ages? Um, I'm guessing, like, my brain wants to go because there was no electricity, but I imagine that there's no electricity back in 800 BC anyway. So I would say either a typically, like, dark period of time, or there's not a lot known about it? That last one is correct. Basically, it's dark because we are, we have, we're not, our our knowledge is not illuminated, let's say. We don't know much about it, it's like... It's like the lights out. Yeah. And a dark age is, is a phenomenon that happens has happened through many different cultures. It's really... I'm going to start calling nights out where I got too drunk the dark ages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, last but night was the dark ages. The concept, of, the concept of a dark age is really interesting. Because if you think about in Britain, between uh, the Roman Empire and 1066, yeah. it's considered the dark ages. We know more about it now, but we're, it's not... It takes we don't know about it with the surety that we do about certain things. A lot yeah. of it is from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which is stories written. And it's similar pre-800 BC and kind of approaching sort of 700 BC. Yeah. Some of the things may not have happened, which is a really interesting part of history. I think the further back you go, the less, the less confirmation you can get about certain things. Yeah. So you've got to remember that all the things I say to you here are 2,000... 800 years old. Yeah, and in like, I don't know, in 20 years' time, they might be thinking, oh no, that's that's incorrect. Yeah. Like, 
I they could, might dig I could, up something and go, oh shit. I could say things like, in Pearl Harbor, in 1942, the Germans invaded Pearl Harbor. And I know that because there were people still alive who were there. But now it's even more so than like 1066, where the, the winner of the Battle of Hastings is dictated in the Biotapestry. In ancient Greece, you know even, even less. Yeah. You're guessing. So, prior to ancient Greece, or the Greek Dark Ages, they were also known as the, the Homeric Age. Can you guess why? Homeric? Homeric. Spell? H-O-M-E-R-I-C. I don't know then. They were named for Homer, the writer. Oh, okay. Uh, the writer so I was of... like, Homeric, I was just like, okay, mm. either that people got very homely, or we're talking like human Eric, and I don't know what that would mean. Do you know anything that Homer wrote? No. The Odyssey? And the Iliad. Oh, okay. Homer's Odyssey and Homer's Iliad. Okay. The, the father of literature. Yes. You know? Indeed. That's, that's also, some, also something really interesting about ancient Greece is any time it's like, oh yeah, this, this guy was, you know, a lawmaker and he was the first lawmaker in recorded history. You know? That's strange. It is weird. Yeah. So, a little bit of background. 1100 BC, so the 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 beginning of the Greek Dark Age, um, was the end of the Mycenaean era, right? Which was late a late Bronze Age society. Okay? Mm-hmm. So there was, in Mycenae, you had like the great big palatial cities and things like that. Um, that is where, have you ever seen Troy? Yes. That set during the Mycenaean period. So you had Greek heroes like Agamemnon and Menelaus and Achilles and Helen of Troy and the Trojan War happened yeah. in the Mycenaean period. Get that it's Trojan important to horse. know that's way before this. That's before ancient Greece. That's weird. Okay. And Time. then before the Mycenaean period you had the Neolithic period, which is kind of tribal, and before that you have like prehistory, yeah. as we would call it. But there are three stages of classification of what is called ancient Greece. Do you remember in the Hundred Years' War episode, three separate bits of the Hundred Years' War? Yes. So in this one we have the Archaic Period, which is circa 800 to about 500 BC. Classical Greece, which is circa 500 BC to about 323. Obviously the closer you get to now, the more exact we can be with the dates. And Hellenistic Greece, 323 to 146 BC. Hellenistic is a... it means Greek. It means Greek in Greek. Yeah. The official name for Greece is the Hellenic Republic, for example. Oh, okay. Uh, after 146 BC, Roman rule was established. So, in this episode, we're going to focus on the Archaic period. We're going to have to split this into two or maybe even three episodes. <laughs> because ancient Greece is a big one. Yeah. James, I hope you know what you've gotten yourself in for. <laughs> uh, the Archaic period was named so because of connotations of being outdated compared to later, thoroughly advanced periods in Greek history. Um, so people think that around 776 BC is the real, the, the year that the Archaic period started and the Dark Ages finished, because it's kind of the first recorded event in Greek history after the Mycenaean period. It was the foundation of the Olympic Games. Uh, it was named, it was named for the city in which they were held, Olympia. Olympia, Olympia. Yeah in the south of the Greek peninsula, the Peloponnese peninsula. You know how Greece has like the bit and it's got like a little islandy bit? Yeah. It's not actually an island, it's connected. It's the Peloponnese peninsula on which Athens and Sparta and most of the big cities are on. Like how Barry Island 
isn't an island. It's just it's connected. a peninsula. It's just yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so interestingly, something I found out: the Olympic Games was one of four sets of games that were held under the banner of the Pan-Hellenic Games. Okay. Uh, which also included the Nemean and Isthmian and Pythian Games. The Olympiad was also used as a measurement of time. So you would have the Olympiad in year one, the, the Nemean and Isthmian Games in year two, the Pythian Games in year three, the Nemean and Isthmian again in year four, and then the Olympiad once again in the fifth year. So you'd know, oh, it's the Olympics. The last one was five years ago. Yeah. I was born the last year the Olympics happened. I'm five years old. For example. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Because it's... Are the Olympics every five years still? Or are they every four? The Olympics every four years now. Yeah, I was going to say. But um, obviously there was a time... There was a long time between the ancient Olympic Games and the modern Olympic Games where there were no... There was nothing. Yeah. I think the first... Don't quote me on this. I think the first modern Olympic Games was in Athens in 1912. But I could definitely be wrong. It might be much earlier than that. Alexa, when were the first... Oh. I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. No. Take a look at the help section in your Alexa app. <laughs> well, Don't. she hasn't reached the Wi-Fi today. We'll look that up at a later date. It's fine. Um, the reason the Olympics are the biggest, though, is because they were the first started, and therefore they're the most well-known. They're the first real, um, you know, games. Obviously, there are many different types of change. The first one we're going to talk about is politics. Yes. The big, chunky, boring topic that is politics. I think politics Ding. is very interesting. Uh, not much is known of political structure in the Dark Ages. Yes. Obviously. Uh, it's thought that independent regions run by oikos. Also, let's introduce a segment called All the Greek Words that Alex Gets Horribly Wrong. Oikos, or family groups, was the structure used. With tribes and chieftains and such, and uh, familial and individual wealth was measured by land ownership rather than your standard of living. Like, a chieftain wouldn't necessarily live any better than a regular person, but they were the, they, they owned the most land, even if it wasn't arable. Yeah. Uh, it's these regions that likely were the foundation of the Greek polis that emerged. Uh, so polis, singular, polis, plural. Polis, or city-state, from where the word metropolis, acropolis, necropolis comes from, politics, policy comes from, was the predominant method of political structuring. Um, there was a huge amount of urbanization, particularly in the south of Greece, on the Peloponnese Peninsula, as we already talked about, Athens, Sparta. And also there was a concept called Sinoicism, which is many small settlements becoming one single urban center. Oh, okay. It's just it's just typical that as settlements grow, they're going to grow into one another, and then it's easier to to get to different places. Yeah, you know. So lo lots of smaller settlements grew into one big one. Um. So Athens and Argos, not. I know not, not the, Argos. Not the, the place where you buy toasters. Uh, excuse me, Argos. I'm not the. Street. They were likely formed this way. Um, so walls were constructed around these polis in the mid-8th century BC, mm -hmm. so about 750. Also, it's important to note, it goes backwards. You know how in AD, the 17th century is 1600 to 1700? Yeah. The 8th century BC is 800 BC to 700 BC. Fun. It's, it starts on I the love the Gregorian is. calendar. It's brilliant. <laughs> Yes, so walls were constructed, marking them as separate and whole political centres. Um, 
And due to this increase in concentration of the population, obviously people move towards these centres and a boom in the population because you bring more people together, there's going to be more, you know, more boning, more babies. And um, so the the old Dark Age methods of government became unworkable yeah. because it was just, I am a chieftain of this particular tribe, I will lead these hundred or so people. When there's 2,000, you can't elect one chieftain. It doesn't work like that anymore. So, a polis, right? What makes it a polis? What do you think? I don't know. Rather than just a, a, a cluster I, of small towns. A cluster of villages. Well, if we're going like, let's say, Swansea, for instance. Okay. Right. That's only a city because it has a cathedral. It's not necessarily big enough, mm-hmm. uh, people would argue. Even I understand how people still view Swansea as a town, because it's not very big. Mm-hmm. Um, like... It's got to meet certain requirements, I'm guessing, yes. right? Um, <laughs> I'm guessing that would be something educational in the sense of, like, a, a university, mm-hmm. kind of something that big enough to be, uh, and a council or government, something governing, potentially? Yes, you, you've you've hit one of them, particularly. Okay. Um, as far as academia is concerned, not... There wasn't, wasn't such thing as a university at the no, time. No, I mean like... There were definitely like theatres yeah. and gymnasia and places where people could go and... I wasn't expecting people and... to go to school. No. But like something big and knowledge, something mm-hmm. that would gra- get gather, gather big minds, essentially, is how I thought of it. Basically, yeah. So what makes it a polis? Self-governance and independence. Okay. So it has to be an independent city-state and it has to govern itself. There were other, other little cities, states, kind of smaller city-states that were governed by other larger city-states. They were not called polis. Or Poleus, they were something else. Um, Agora, I shouldn't roll the eyes. Agora, which is um, a marketplace in a central location, mm-hmm. outside in the open. It's where the word agoraphobia comes from. Ah, okay. Um, Wait, so th- they would have been speaking Latin? Greek. Greek. Phoenician. Who speaks Latin? The Romans. Okay, there, there it is. Because you said agro, agro, what was it again? Can you say no. agora? Yeah, because you said that. I, I was assuming that it came from the Latin, like how fo- a lot of phobias come from their Latin terms. In the early days of the Roman Empire, the national language was Greek. Oh, mm-hmm. so You've like phrases about... like carpe diem. That's though... Latin, but it's gonna. It is gonna come from Greek. It's derived from. From Greek. There are like lo- how a lot of English words derive from French, German, and... Yeah, like, yes. there are many... Although, as we learned in episode one of this podcast, a lot of Old English doesn't come from Latin because of the acculturation of the Romano-British people by Anglo-Saxons. Yeah, because the one thing that I do find interesting... Sorry to go on no, no, a cool. tangent for, for, for languages. is say, like, you won't find in, in like, English or German or French uh, things that come from Japan because there's different... Subsections mm-hmm. of languages and how they, how they, how the languages themselves get built, mm-hmm. uh, and how it's uh, like harder for us to learn Japanese uh, than it would be for yes, us to no, exactly. learn um, because so, like, it's Dutch. Because I'm currently trying to learn Dutch, uh-huh. and I've picked up quite easily because of it's pseudo close. A lot of Dutch people have said it's not, it's but it's close enough to German in certain. In, it's uh, Proto-Germanic will be the root that it shares with German. In yeah. The same way that it'll share a root with. No, uh, Norwegian and yeah. Danish. 
because when I've been out there, so like certain things I will say and mm-hmm. they will laugh because it's just like you're doing this. And typically, it's say like when you roll your R's because mm-hmm. I'm Welsh. When I roll my R's, I do it like that. Uh, so when I do that on Norwegian words, they kind of laugh because like you're right, but your dialect is. Does is it make it mean something slightly different? As far as I'm aware, no. It's just kind of like, you know, when uh, a lot of people like laugh when someone's speaking a bit of broken broken mm-hmm. English. You're like, uh, uh, imagine that, but it's not insulting. It's it's uh, like when someone, um, I guess there can be situations like that where. So if you're trying to say something like dish and you're accidentally saying dick or something like that, right, yeah. it could be like, oh, I need to clean the dick. It's like, it's dish. Dish is saying something else. I guess it's yeah, stuff like that yeah. that could happen. But at the same time, it's just when you, when you say a word funny, it's kind of like, it's just always funny. Yeah. You say a funny word. It's funny. Yeah. So where were I, I, <laughs> sorry. I just really enjoy language. Well, well, well. Certainly, I'll I'll look into how ancient Greek developed into Latin okay. as we go on. Yeah, that'd be great. Because um, yeah, basically, Rome div- like came from Greece. James, you ancient, picked a good topic. <laughs> ancient Rome came from ancient Greece. They they're kind of the same. Yeah. Like. Now we'll talk about another episode. <laughs> Where was I? So, polis, yes. Self-governing. And he used to have an agora. Mm-hmm. He used to have an acropolis, which is a citadel, like a walled oh, citadel. I love the word citadel with like a with a temple in it. It needs to have um, urban planning. Now it had the the has the Greek cities have a hippodamian plan, which was devised by Hippodamus of Miletus, um, who was a, an ancient Greek architect. It's the grid layout, similar to. Manhattan. Oh. I just love that so many things get based on, on mm-hmm. this area of time. Like, democracy is yeah. basically based on yeah. this area of time. Yeah, there's a bit about democracy. Well. Coming out. Yes. Uh, <laughs> an organised religion. Okay. Uh, walls. Uh, currency. It's individual currency. Each polis had its own. And a political ecclesia. How would the each area having their own currency work? Because that's like... They're not that far apart, but like imagine exchanging money. Like it would be wanting to move from one town to another. It so must be impossible. Uh, later on, when um, Athens became a big important city, a lot of places would use the say like the Athenian coins. Yeah, um, I think it was in Corinth the first minted coin was discovered, sixth century BC, okay. roughly. But um, what it started as is a coin was a st- before coinage, you had like a weight. Yeah, uh, like based on ten bushels of wheat or whatever it was, and that was how much like one thing was. There's a whole bit I'm doing about how much money people had, <laughs> how you measured wealth before coinage, and so it was like, oh, this costs one pound of silver, one gram of silver, for example. Yes. So the coin was a one gram silver coin, and they were minted like that. Particularly so that you didn't have to weigh things. We st- we did that for a long time in, mm. in pound coins. So you you didn't have to you didn't have to like weigh the coin and be like yes this is enough it's just a coin you go oh yes one of these that's enough. So a polis needed currency yes and it also needed a political ecclesia or congregation. Yeah. So what this was was all adult males assembled for voting on polis matters. Now 
whether or not this is all adult males or it's the upper classes. At this point, it probably was just the upper classes, the, the richer people, rather than later on after Solon's reforms that we'll get to. Um, but it meant there was direct democracy. The citizens decided policy. Uh, democracy even comes from French, uh, French, Greek. Demos, the people. Kratia, power. People power. Yeah. Democracy. Right? It's the first real instance of, of democracy. With the exception of... No, it is, because the Roman Republic was afterwards. First real uh, democracy. The word comes from Greek. Like, um, it had published laws with public trials. Uh, it had Sinoicism, which I've talked to you about before. Uh, right, it's important to know that about Sinoicism. It's the absorption of smaller local settlements, right? Though a polis was... It was, it, while it was geographical to some extent, it was considered to be a religious and political association as opposed to entirely geographical. Just because something was near to you doesn't mean it's part of your policy but believes different things or has a different method of governance. And there were four social classes. Men, legitimately born of citizen parents. Women and children who had all the legal rights that men did but not the same political rights. They couldn't. They couldn't vote. They couldn't be in the. You, you, you just when you look at history, you kind of need to just put that out of your head. Yeah, <laughs> it's just the it's just the way things were. Uh, you had metics, which were natives of other poleis, who again had the same legal rights, but did not have the same political rights. So if you if you were born outside the city, a woman a woman born inside the city had more rights than you. So that's that's kind of where they are with with women. You know, it's not. They res- they respected women a lot more than some cultures did, in yeah. like even in the, like the nineteenth century, you know, and then slaves, yes, who were obviously property of their owners and weren't weren't given human status. The big oofs of history. Yes, and also um, something I need to point out is that um, something called an archon existed, A R C H O N, an archon, which was an elected chief magistrate, essentially the lord or the ruler. Um, several players had these in place of kings. And we're going to move on to Athens at the moment. Um, an attempted coup by Cylon of Athens in about 636 BC. That's What actually happened there is not particularly important. It's the recording of this event that is very important. It's the first and earliest recorded event in Athenian history, which is historically sourced, which, which people will attest to happening. Um, so his attempt against the Archonship displays that the Athenian monarchy had already ended by 636 BC, having been replaced by the office of Archon. It was still an aristocratic office, holdable only by the members of the Eupatridae, the the highest and most important aristocratic families, right? Eupatridae, you good, patri, patriarchy. Patrilineal things, right? Yeah. Laws. Father. In Athens, circa 621, Draco, the first recorded legislator in ancient Greece, existed. Um, He had an interesting homicide law. Uh, That's the first. He had several different laws, but this is the first one I'm going to talk about. Previously, it was the old tribal laws of blood feud. If someone wronged you, you went and fought them. And killed, and killed them. 
and that was the law. And if they died, then it's, hey, the law's on your side. You know, basically. It's trial cool. by combat. Uh, it was replaced by a written code enforceable only in a court of law. Only in a court of law. Um, Draco was known for his very harsh laws. Um, his name is actually where the, where the word draconian comes from, to mean harsh. Ah, oh, yes. I love me some Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> he was, if you, for example, one of his harsh laws, if you owed a debt to someone of a higher class, the only way you could pay it back was by selling yourself into slavery to them. Well. Mm-hmm. Um, for pretty much every other minor offense. Yeah. Such as theft, all that kind of stuff. What do you think you got? Execute. Yes. What? Death. Hey, look, he's very harsh. But theft? Yep. Oh, I would have been executed a long time so ago. So, Plutarch, uh, a, a Greek scholar of the later ancient period, he said these lesser crimes... He said Draco believed that these lesser crimes deserve the punishment of death, and he had no greater punishment for more important ones. Uh, uh, okay. Now, the homicide law. Uh, up to the, it was generally what what we have recorded. It was up to the victim's relatives to prosecute a murderer. Um, it oddly specified that, like the stone tablet or whatever we found, this is carved onto. It specified a punishment of exile for unintentional homicide. Yes, it's manslaughter. It was not clear if there was a specified punishment for murder. Uh, it's it's hypothesized by many historians that it was, you know, the death penalty. Yeah, as it was. For so many other crimes. Because why would it be the death penalty for theft and then exile for, for murder? Unless you consider mur- like exile to be worse. Um, something else interesting about laws is something called the Ar- Areopagus. Okay. It was So the, the Areopagus still exists in Athens. It was a rock outcropping northwest of the Acropolis in Athens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was that area was considered to be a court for trying people. Um, so... It was reserved for crimes of murder, yes, wounding, yes, um, religious crimes, yes, arson, yes, and interestingly, matters involving olive trees. They really like olives. They really olive like olives. Tree. Olives exclusively grew like in that region at the time. Yeah, Italy hadn't been settled to the, nearly to the extent that Greece had. Yeah, and also Though Greece, when you think of olive oil and stuff like that, you do think Italy now. Especially you do now. Greece, Greece had colonies stuff. in in Italy as well, so that's probably why. So they controlled a majority of the olive trade, and it was it was a very expensive commodity. So messing with someone's olive trees is like it's messing with their livelihood. When was the know? spice trade a thing? The spice trade would have become a thing later in probably the ninth, tenth century. Okay, I was just when people started because I was like, is this like? The spice trade, but well, it's, when, it's when people started going east, yeah, or you know, all the way west, like yeah. Columbus. Um, when the Mongols showed up, people started going east, and the Mongols were very like, "Yeah, come on in, trade spice. I don't care, whatever." It was when the Seljuk Turks took over Constantinople that it became more difficult for people to go east to get the spice trade. Hence, why people sailed west to try and find Japan, but actually found America. We, sh- we should uh, do an episode about the that the the, the, the trade then. The, the, the Mongol Empire as well. Well, just yeah, in, in that period of time. I think we will. But for now? I also think right now is a good time to remind you that I Know History is brought to you by Podmage.com. A, a different, different kind, kind of, of casting. casting. 
What else can people find on Pommage.com? They can find Dead Air, hosted by Portia and Bethan. It's all about the creepy and wonderful things. The things that Fox Mulder would find interesting. You know the X-Files? Yes. Yeah, of course I know the X-Files. Great show. Great show. I'm saying, asking the listeners. Not historically accurate, however. I, I mean, I'm guessing... Um, so if you like any of that weird kind of stuff feel free to go listen to Dead Air available on Alex found my kazoo um, the feel free to listen to it on uh, available where all good podcasts can be found such as I don't know history as well uh, they can also listen to Kaparaje which is my podcast um, Kaparaje Summer Drinks is starting again soon which is where Alex Yeet. actually comes onto the show and is our bartender gives us a few drinks and we have some fun topics uh it's a it's, it's a nice typically kind of breakfast show kind kind of thing to wake up to but for those who wake up at all different times of the day so you can just enjoy it as and when you want to enjoy We're all gonna it get wrecked yeah we really are uh and then yeah also coming soon i hope we've got we've got to put more development into it but it's the roast of Kaparaje. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna destroy you. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward. To I don't even know if I have to write be. anything down. Yeah, I think I can, just, I can just, I can just, I can just pull it. Yeah, I can pull it out of my ass. Like, you know I mean? God, that's, that's good to know. Uh, and finally, in development uh, as well on Podmage.com is a podcast called Sixty Nine Movies. <laughs> <laughs> it is a podcast, a movie review podcast, where we, me and Tom Stickler of. Uh, the Geek Center podcast fame and the Rhyme Quests uh, sit down. We look at IMDb, Metacricket, Cricket, <laughs> Metacritic, uh, and um, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and we look for films with a six point nine or sixty nine, and we just watch those movies and review them. It's dumb. It's because sixty nine is a funny number, but there are so many banging films. I was going to say, I bet there's some good ones. There's so many. There's The Mask. There's The Devil Wears Prada. There's it's a good movie. It's yeah, it's a good movie. Uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. Um, that's a six point nine. That's a six point nine. That's a six point nine. It's not as good as Winter Soldier, to be fair. No, I'll give it that. But there's just I feel like when you want to watch a ten out of ten banging film, like ten out of ten. Uh, it's a lot. It takes a lot out of you, you to watch down. that film. You want to watch Godfather yeah. or Schindler's List or something? Yeah, like, right, let's there's a lot to get through. Whereas a 6.9, you're never really disappointed. Well, it's like because... Superbad on that list. Because Superbad yeah, is, Superbad that is on that list. It, it's just, it's it's so much fun. And you're just there, like, you know what you're getting into and you have a fun time it, on the journey. If there's a film that I want you to review, I'm just going to give it a neg- like a negative review every day until it's 6.9. It's and then I'll be like. <laughs> Hey RJ, now you need to watch Schindler's List. Thanks, Alex. I've ruined Schindler's List reputation, so you can you can review it on sixty nine. I want to check movies. what Bruce Almighty is. I feel like I would love to watch Bruce Almighty. Just out of I, I it's a good film, but yeah, all that is coming to and is on potmage dot com. A, a different, different kind, kind of, of casting. casting. You say casting. I say casting. I'm English. I'm Welsh. I know. Back to. The topic. Which is? Ancient Greece. So, talking about changing culture and changing society, an important figure is a gentleman called Solon, or Solon, S-O-L-O-N. Yes. Uh, In 594 BC, so we're approaching the 6th century BC now, not approaching, we're in it, he was elected Archon and Mediator of Athens. We sped through time quite quickly there. Yes, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, he reformed large amounts of laws surrounding crimes as well as as well as governance. Um, Draco's laws were largely repealed, with the exception of his homicide laws. Now, Solon's reforms are very interesting because it's taking a step towards the kind of society we start to see in classical and Hellenistic Greece, mm-hmm. um, where there is more real democracy and more real laws. So he had. When two- does everyone start shagging each other? Uh, I keep getting like told that. Greece used to be bisexual as hell, and, like, I want them deets. <laughs> I don't know. I'll do a podcast about that. Um, well, to be honest, it's likely the in the gymnasia. Because there were, like, obviously men worked out naked. And to be honest, I don't know that there was such a taboo surrounding, you know, banging other dudes. Um, Is there just nothing within their culture that was, like, I don't think so. evil? You know, I don't, I don't think so. What are we talking about? Solon and his reforms. Yes. He had three types of reforms. The first being constitutional reform. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time, the Athenian state was governed by nine archons elected by the Areopagus. Remember the Areopagus? The yes. law yeah, yeah. center. The Ecclesia. Remember the Ecclesia, which is the legislative council was only for noble men. Solon legislated for all citizens to be allowed to be admitted into the Ecclesia, and for a court, or Helia, Helia, formed from this basis of citizens. So, they're both the same body, the Ecclesia and the Heliaia. The Heliaia was like a representative kind of jury portion of it, just to kind of make sure the legislature was being put in place correctly. Yes. Um, however, some scholars doubt that the working classes were included. Uh, at this point, it would, be, it would have been an extremely bold move for any aristocrat in the archaic period to allow Thetis, they were called Thetes or Thetis, the working class, mm-hmm. into the Ecclesia. Um, and if you want to read more about those doubts, that was written in by Charles Hignett in a history of the Athenian constitution to the end of the 5th century BC. Oh. I'd like to start citing my sources a little more. <laughs> That's why I've done that. Um, it's also, Solon apparently created the Council of 400, created as a steering community for the larger Ecclesia, which is 400 noblemen who were kind of like the House of Lords, if you like, to try and steer the Ecclesia in the right direction. Um, ancient sources cite this, so Aristotle and Plutarch will say this existed, but modern scholars also doubt that this existed. The same gentleman, Charles Hignett, in the same book, thinks maybe that didn't actually happen. Um, the, the social classes that were divided into four before, do you remember what they were? Men, women, metics, and, and slaves. Slaves. He kept the idea of four social classes, but it was not based on your nobility or aristocracy or like where you were from. Yeah. Your family. It was based on your, based on your wealth. So like the caste system. Caste system? Yes and no. The caste system in India was based much more on breeding rather than how much money you actually had. Isn't that still a thing? For India as well, like yes, still, no. yes, yeah, no. yeah. legally no, but it's um, still. I look. I'm not. Remnants. I'm not Indian. I don't live in India. Okay. I can't really comment. Okay. As far as the Western media is concerned, yes, it's still a thing. Okay. But observably, I'm, I don't know. Okay. Okay. Um, yes, it was based on wealth. The unit of measurement was the medimnus, which was roughly twelve gallons of, like a cereal, not like a cocoa pop, but like. 
yeah. wheat or barley. Wheat, or yeah, there it is. So one medimnos is 12 gallons by capacity of like a cereal. So this is a very hard word. The highest, the highest uh, class of person was called a pentacosio medimnoi. Can I see? Yeah. It's a big long word beginning with P just there. Pentacosio medinoi. Med- yeah, that's roughly it. Yeah, that seems medinoi. Yeah. The medimnoi is medimnoi. Medimnoi is the plural of the medimnos, which is the unit of measurement. Yeah. Um, so they owned uh, five hundred medimnoi or upwards. That's how much they could, with their wealth, how much they could produce or buy in a year. Yes. Um, they were eligible to be generals or military governors. That's sort of the level of wealth we're looking at. Then there's Hippias, which were the same but 300 medimnoi, at or above 300, roughly equal, equivalent to a medieval knight. That's okay. the level of wealth we're looking at. Zugitai, which is 200, roughly equivalent to a medieval yeoman. And Thetis, which is um, at or below 199 medimnoi, manual workers. So only Pentacosio medimnoi, the highest, the highest like 1%, were eligible, eligible to be elected as archons, the, the governors, and only they could be in the Areopagus, so they could be judges. But it was only Thetis, the very lowest, who were excluded from public office. So you can see that there is social mobility, or an idea of social mobility, because it's it's not based on who you are or where you come from, it's based on how much money you have. So it's, it's the American dream. Work harder, get to a higher social class, become the president. You know? <laughs> Okay. Um, he also had economic reforms. Athens had little in the way of trade with other polis due to most citizens living in rural settlements, right? So increase in prices for goods transported by land was hugely significant. For every, like, 10 miles it passed, it, the, the price increased by 40%, roughly. Um, and Athens had very little, very few trade ships to speak of. Um, they used their, like, narrow warships, narrow longships. They doubled them as cargo transports. Um... Faced with a rapidly increasing population, people would go hungry in all except the economically good years. Right? If you go, oh yeah, we've had a good year, everyone's eaten. You know? So the reforms. Interestingly, right? Fathers were encouraged to find trades for their sons. Uh, Prior to this, there was a legal obligation for sons to maintain their fathers in old age. However, if the father had failed to find a trade for their son, there was no obligation. (laughs) Um... If, if they did find a, a decent trade for their son, the son still had the legal obligation to care for their father monetarily when they'd reached old age and could not work any longer. Okay. Right? Foreign traders who settled in Athens were given citizenship provided they brought their families. Yes. Now, it's important they, provided that they brought their families because then that means their children and their children's children will become Athenians. Yeah. And that trade would contribute to Athenian growth. Yeah. That's a very positive way to look at immigration. Like kind of thing. It is. It's it's obviously it's still pushing like single mm-hmm. people out who want to come there to work and be a part of. But it, it it's still more of a positive outlook at how we look at it. Uh, people were uh, metics existed. They they were foreign foreign people who lived and worked in Athens, but they were not yeah. citizens. Therefore, had no political status. They couldn't vote or be in the ecclesia. If they married, would they still always be that kind of? No, but their children would. Okay. It was based much more on where you were born. Everyone was Greek. Yes. But it was different to be Athenian or Spartan. If you were born in Athens, you were Athenian. Um, they were um, given citizenship, though, if they brought their families. So they could become Athenian and they could have those political rights. 
Um, I know that you don't like you. You've got your your notes there, but mm-hmm. would it be a dirty word essentially to call like, uh, you know, say so like a lot of immigrants feel mm-hmm. like what they get. Obviously, there's slurs thrown at them, mm. but typically you hear the word immigrant, and you, a lot of people kind of like dirty word kind of thing. Um, not at this point, I don't expect that. I imagine like um, a lot of people being like, "Oh, you are beneath me because you are from out of out of town." I I don't know how the general public really felt about. I'm just thinking the other of events. like reflection kind of thing on, on like current society. It's it's very difficult. It's very difficult to say because obviously we can get the the written texts, which are written by the scholars and the, the, the governors and stuff like that, but we, what we don't have is um, the real accounts of the real people who live there. Yeah. So whether or not the the we pen- essentially got the, the Pentecostio Medinoi got that out in the first one thought that the <laughs> metics, the foreigners who came over and gained citizenship, how they felt about them, like yeah. we just we just don't know. Um, I just thought it was interesting because I'm guessing like looking at history and things repeating itself mm-hmm. kind of thing. It, I wouldn't be surprised if it's very similar. In I, would, I wouldn't be surprised A lot of people would be like, they're helping the economy. You know, they're coming in, mm-hmm. they're contributing to um, Athens, and the whole, we're, we're benefiting. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're completely taken, but you also probably have, oh, they're taking homes away from people because we need to make them live, you know, they have to live here when mm-hmm. there's perfectly, you know, there's people in the streets, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. There's... Joe Bloggs over there whose son lost his trade uh, so he can't look after his dad kind of thing. Uh, like, it's likely, I, I yeah. I can imagine those social, political kind of situations. Um, having said that, in I know that in Roman times, and remember the Roman Empire is basically a successor to ancient Greece. Yes. Um, Rome, the Roman you know, Senate established this idea of a Roman identity. Yes. No matter where you were from in the Roman Empire, you could be a Spaniard, you could be a Greek, you could be a Byzantine, you were Roman. Yeah. And you always had that. See, that's interesting in itself. Just for another, just a quick little reflection, you can say that about the United Kingdom. We are all, you You will always get people who are like, I'm Welsh. I will mm-hmm. go down being like, I'm Welsh. I don't really identify with the term British. Uh, same with the Scots. Like a lot of people there are going to be like, mm-hmm. "I'm Scottish." I'm okay, RJ. Mm-hmm. Don't need to do, do a bit that. Of an accent there. Um, yeah, and I, they're not British. Same with people of Northern mm-hmm. Ireland, kind of thing. Uh, whereas I would say English people, they're mm-hmm. more more likely to say British because Britain and England are more tied together Were for so long. Than, synonymous. Yeah. Whereas okay. the rest of us are like, no, mm-hmm. we are Cumbrian. Oh no! Yeah, no, definitely. Um, there was definitely a sense of um, pride and uh, belonging to your your polis. If you were from yeah. Athens, you were Athen- you were Greek. Yeah, everyone was Greek, but you were Athenian. And the mad Spartans over there, they they're very different. Yeah, that's the Despite kind of thing being that I'm Greek. going for. Like, I want, I, I would love to mm-hmm. see that kind of thing from a from that kind of aspect. A really seeing like yeah, they're all you know Greek. They're all that, and it's, but. Ultimately, mm-hmm. the individuals, the general public, probably don't perceive a really it that way. Easy metaphor because obviously we have such ties with them in the media, and it's such a big country. Is America? Mm-hmm. Everyone's American, but a Texan is going to have an a, an identity as a Texan mm-hmm. that a New Yorker is not going to have. They're going to feel a New Yorker, even if they go to Texas, they'll be like, oh, "I'm from New York," yeah. despite the fact that they are all American. 
Yeah. Same yeah. with Greece. They're all Greek, but Athenians and Spartans and Corinthians and Argosians and I'm not sure what they are. And their own the political beliefs are going to be different. So like how Texas yes. is more Republican, whereas mm-hmm. California is more... Um, liberal. Yeah, liberal. Oh my God. Is Democrat. It? Democratic. Democrat. There we are. I was, trying, I was going to say uh, Democratic Republican. And I was like, nope. That, so that's they, were, before, they were originally called the Democratic yeah, Republicans. That's more history. I see. I am getting better at history. They had Democratic Republicans and they had Whigs. Mm-hmm. Whigs. W-H-I-G. Just same as British Party. Whigs. So, yes. Where was I? Foreign traders who settled in Athens. Yes. Um, here's another one that you might laugh at because it's come up before. Olive cultivation was encouraged. <laughs> And exporting other fruits was banned. What? You could not export other fruit. You could sell them inside the polis, inside the city, but you could not export them. Where am I going to get my avocados from? From someone who grows avocados in the city. Yeah, but if I live outside the city, where am I get my avocados from? You can import. There was no exports because they needed to keep that. Imagine an RJ who couldn't eat. They wanted. They wanted to keep that in the economy. (laughs) Right, but olive cultivation, because as I said before, olives were very expensive. They were okay to be exported, and the revision of weights and measures. So, how much a uh, standard weight for something for a unit of currency particularly was, which was likely based on success in other areas, in other polis, um, such as Corinth and Argos, and the other one that I've forgotten. Um, some historians think the Solon reformed the coinage. Though recently historians have come to a dis- have have come to a disagreed upon conclusion that coinage didn't exist until 560 BC, until after Solon's reforms, um, due to an unstable currency being used prior. That's why coinage was brought in because the currency was unstable. And also another important thing was pottery exportation. Okay, pottery got better and better and better over time as oh. more craftsmen stayed and trained and. Um, the pottery of the Mycenaean period was completely gone. I mean, if we go by the beliefs of Hercules, they start get, they start animating pots. Like, if you if you've seen Disney's Hercules, yeah, that, right. That's a my um, God. I'm not sure when Hercules was supposed to be, when when the myth of Heracles was supposed to exist. I think this it might have been in ancient Greece. Yeah, I think it was. It was in ancient Greece rather than the Mycenaean period. I can because tell you that. If you look at the pots in Disney's Hercules the terracotta kind of colour with the black um, colouring in, yeah. that's what Greek pottery looked like at the time. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah? Yeah. There you go. Thank you. His moral reforms, right? This is an important one as well. Mm-hmm. He abolished Draco's debt slavery. So if you owed a debt to someone, you didn't have to sell yourself to slavery. <laughs> uh, he released all enslaved Athenians. Oh, God. Anyone that had, uh, had a slave, it was like, no, look, come on. Um... So there was a practice called horos, multiple is horoi, yep. which was the practice of offering yourself or your family as security should you fail to honor the stipulated contract. Say, yes, you can work this land that I own, provided you provide me with a hundred bushels of wheat every month. If you break that, horos meant you have become a slave. It's like, that's, that's your security. You don't own anything because you, don't, you can't put the land up, the land that you control up for sale because you don't actually own it. It's still owned by the Eupatridae, which is like the old houses. So you had to put you and your family up as slaves to make sure that, you know, you could get this contract. Would it be like paying a debt, though, or would you always be the slave? So you weren't a slave at the time. It's, for example, if it was... No, I mean, like, if you fail and you become a slave, 
Is it paying off? I, Do you have I to don't pay know. I think so. It's, so it's just the, 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 my sources are inconclusive. Whether or not you were a slave forever and you became the property of the owner. I think that's what it was. It was you became the property of the owner. Oh, goodness gracious me. Because you were saying that, like, yes. slave, slavery, like, it's not a thing anymore kind of thing, other than, obviously, you putting mm-hmm. yourself up for it. Uh, I just, I'd love to see the economic backlash of that. Would people who owned a lot of slaves be like, you owe me money now because I don't have slaves? Like, because that was a big problem in um, 1806, like, which is why, well, earlier on, which is why um, they pushed the... The difference between Greek slavery and American slavery is that slavery was kind of seen as the paying of a debt. You didn't, you didn't, in American slavery, people were stolen from Africa yes. and given to people and be like, I will buy that person. It was more like, look, you, you work for me now. You were, yeah. you were semi-free, right? You, you weren't, you know, whipped and raped and all that kind of horrible stuff. It was, it was you, the debt that you owed was to work for this person. Yeah. You know, for nothing. you still got to live where you lived. You still got to have your life, but you were, you were owned. Yeah. You know? This up, uplifting of people was called Saisachthia. Saisachthia? Okay. I'm not 100% sure how you pronounce it. Let me see. Saisachthia. The, the CH is probably a K. Saisachthia. Saisachthia. But you're reading it as, like a, as a Welshman. Saisachthia. Yeah. Um, yeah, I am. I, yes. I'm just seeing the CH together. I'm that like, was the. Saisachthia? That word basically means the abolition of all the slavery laws. Basically, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also, as well as these, he abolished extravagant dowries, so you didn't have to pay your your daughter's potential husband like a million coins drachma. <laughs> there was legislation against abuse of inheritance, the inheritance system. So, for example, an inheriting female was traditionally required to marry her closest paternal relative in order to produce a male heir to it to the estate. If you, if I had a, I have a sister, right. If my father dies and I and he owns a land and I'm dead, and my sister were to inherit, she can't actually like properly own that land. So what you would have to do is immediately marry her closest paternal relative, so be it an uncle or, or a cousin, cousin. Oh. in order to uh. in order to produce an heir that could then become an heir, a male heir to this property. Oh, that's grim. He got rid of that. That's gone. Good. What kind of Bloody Ceres Jamie Bollocks is that? Yeah, it's pretty... Seriously, it's, did it's, I just say Ceres? Ceres, yeah. It's a character from Final Fantasy VI, I think. Yeah. No, that's... Oh, wait. Well, four? Oh, no, six. Aerith is... Seven. He allowed any other citizen to take legal action on another's behalf. He created lawyers. Oh, my God. Which... Why? In a way, it was a good thing, because if you think about it, people representing themselves with no knowledge of law is very bad. Yeah. And you've got the Areopagus, who are these... Big rich people. Just, I think capitalism just, just doling out lawyers laws. for everyone. Yeah, and um, he also remo- uh, instituted a law that removed the voting rights of a citizen who refused a call to arms during times of war. Oh, because war was important. Yes, I have very complex feelings about going to war if I was ever called. But <laughs> it's okay. Now, on the opposite side of the coin was Sparta. Um, they had a new a newer political system which implemented g- gerontocracy, which was um, they were ruled by something called the the Gerousia Gerousia G E R O U S I A, 
which is a council of elders. Gerontocracy means the oldest rule. Yes. So if you're above 60, you were part of this Gerousia, which was like Gerousia, I'm not sure, which advised the council, like the, the parliament. Um, they went to war with Messenia and enslaved the Messenian population. That's how a lot of this stuff got built. Yes. And they maintained kings who co-ruled with Ephors, which was a council of five elected officials who worked for the good of the city. Okay. So they had a slightly... It was similar in Sparta, but they had a, a quite a different methodology to their... You know, it was very, we have taken these slaves to work for us. They were very military race. Uh, the, 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 the adjective Spartan um, is, is used for someone who doesn't have a lot of things. Yeah. The room is very Spartan. Sparse probably comes Sparse. from that too. Yeah. I would imagine. Sounds plausible. <laughs> um, apparently Spartans were the, the, the most known for being... Minimalistic. No, being like gay or bisexual. Oh, okay. They would like... Well, they, they were naked in battle. Yeah, so, I mean, sometimes you just get the horn. It's like, well, oh, no, you're, you're in the mood, I'm almost, in the mood. It was almost ritualistic. Okay. They'd have sex before battle, and they'd, love to know they'd the also rates. They'd do their hair before they battled. Oh, that's so cute. So if you saw a Spartan with like a that's fancy cute. new haircut, Spartan stay orgies. away, because he's gone, oh, he's going to kill you. Oh, good he's, he's running towards you, just hoplite with his spear, spear and shield, with his tackle out, and a fancy quiff. You think, I'm about to die. <laughs> this is a weird way to die. Because the Spartans were nasty. Right. This is Sparta. We, we, focus, we focus on Athens more because uh, maybe many of the baseline laws and stuff were implemented in Sparta as well, but I just want to show you the differences. Yeah. Colonialism was a thing in, in Greece as well. In the 8th and 7th century BC, colonization began for trade as well as founding of additional settlements. So there are two ways that Greece colonized. Permanent founding of independent settlements, which became Poleus, Ionia, for example, on in Turkey. Which is a Greek city-state, but it's in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And Emporia, from where we get the word Emporium, Empor- okay. which is a trade post occupied by Greeks concerned with manufacture and sale of goods. It's just, they, they put people there to make stuff so they can sell it without moving it so far. Yeah. Basically. Um, the Amazon of its day. Yes. Huge amounts of southern Italy was colonized. Sicily particularly. You can see, uh, there's, a, there's a city in Sicily called Syracuse. It's a very Greek name. Syragusa in Italian, but originally Syracuse. Syracuse, yeah. Yep. Well, funnily enough, it does also sound like... A state of America, not a state, but like a city inside of a state. Yeah, there's a, like, there's a Syracuse in New England somewhere. Oh, okay. There's, there's there a university are. called Syracuse. I was gonna say, I was just like, I swear that's also in America. Mm. Like, I'm from Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Don't know why. It's no, in it, Texas, it definitely but... is. Um, and as far west as Marseille in the south of France. Ah. More colonies. Um, basically, every coastline of the Mediterranean at some point throughout the ancient Greek period was colonized by the Greeks. They'd landed there and done stuff there. Yeah, they just, they want that, the the Um, best position. Southern Italy was known as Magna Grecia, Great Greece. Okay. Or Upper Greece, because there were so (laughs) many Greek settlements there. North Greece. Yeah, if you like. Something (laughs) I need to tell you about as well are tyrants. Really? Yeah. Oh my god, tyrants? Archaic. I didn't know about these. It's important. Archaic Greece has been called an age of tyrants. Why? 
Well, with an increase in wealth and influence, it was easy for men in such, such positions to seize power. Um, such as Sipsilus of Corinth, who seized power of Corinth in 655 BC. He just had a lot of money and a lot of influence. And he was like, do you, do you want me to be archon or king, whatever? And people were like, yeah. So Why he not? did it. Um, Aristotle. Do you know who Aristotle was? The ancient Greek philosopher. Didn't even give me a chance to reply, but okay. <laughs> Just like um, Seneca and Socrates and all those. Aristotle. Yeah. He argued that tyrants were a response to nobility becoming less tolerable and more arrogant. So almost like it was extremism from the lower the lower right. classes. Um, there when are other the, stories. Uh, when do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles get involved? What? Michelangelo. Donatello. That's Renaissance Italy. I know, I just, you've been saying the funny names and I was like, oh, really wanted to make a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles joke. So, other I historians, wanted, I just really wanted other to do historians, <laughs> um, they disagree with Aristotle. Uh, Druze, in 1972, wrote, uh, he believed that the tyrants were set up by individuals who controlled private armies and they did not need popular support. And Hammond in 1982 suggested tyranny was a result of rival oligarchs and their infighting. Do you know what an oligarch is? It sounds like a word used for someone being a knob. You could put you could put it that way. An oligarch is a member of a ruling class. Oh right. So if, for example, I consider it I consider it lower class. Funny enough, not it, higher. If you and I and three other people rule yeah. the country together collectively, we would be called oligarchs. Ah. And because of our infighting and our inability to get anything done, the popular response was let's have a tyrant yeah. command take over so like how our parliament works <clears> with like multiple different parties within <throat> there but the tyrant would be the main yes. party interestingly this is very interesting however aristotle's writings on tyranny were only attributed to the mid 4th century bc so 350 um prior to this the word tyrannos had not gained its negative connotation even after the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Tyrannosaurus Rex was was named in the in the. I'm kidding! Oh my god, Alex. <laughs> the word Tyrannos had not yet gained its negative connotation, being synonymous with Anax, which meant king. Just okay. it just meant a king. It wasn't until about 400 BC that Tyrannos and then the word became Basileus. wasn't Anax. It was Basileus, also meaning king. Were consistently distinguished. It's unclear then whether tyrants could be seen as any less legitimate than other rulers until the 6th century BC. Okay. So the writings say these tyrants that ruled us, it, it's just, it could potentially mean another word just for our ruler, rather than tyrannical, you know? Yeah. So other developments in Greece. Uh, trade around the Aegean Sea. By 600 BC, they were trading as far as Carthage to the west, which is in Morocco, to modern Morocco, and Sardis, which is modern western Turkey, to the east. Great big trading network all throughout the Mediterranean. Coinage was invented circa 650 BC in Corinth. Um, it helped with ease of commerce because you didn't have to carry the great big weights of metal that you were going to trade with you. It standardized the weight. So everywhere had the same, you know, it wasn't this This silver is worth more because of whatever reason. And it, it became used, as, like we talked about earlier, it was used as a promise of a certain value. So if you got an Athenian pound coin, for example... From someone, you could go to Athens, and that would be worth exactly that. It's a guarantee. 
Writing. Phoenician script was used after writing was lo- it was lost after the Mycenaean period. Like, no one knew how to write. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Things such as legal codes, treaties, and public records were written on stone and wood. Although we, we know they were written on wood rather than we have seen them. Yeah. Uh, military, right? So here's... The, the military was interesting because in the archaic period you got um, hoplite tactics. Have you seen... You've seen Troy, right? It's swords and shields. Yeah. There's no spears. The hoplite was a spear and shield soldier. And they fought in a phalanx formation, which is rows of spears, wherein yeah. the person behind you could poke their spear out. Behind like, the... Is it... Yeah. The shields are there, but Yeah, then, basically. So they move them... And they would use that as a, as a compact and supporting formation. For it was, uh, anyone who has seen Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. the Battle of the Bastards, mm-hmm. they use that to yes. kill That's people. not quite a phalanx. That's a shield wall, it's, but a phalanx is, yeah, is a similar it, concept. Yeah. It was used to great effect by the Spartans, particularly against the invading Persians. We'll get to that. Whose bows were not powerful enough to penetrate a hoplite shield. And its compactness and support offered by the length of the spear provided a massive tactical advantage. Because you've got these lightly armoured soldiers running up with a little sword. They've got to get real close to you. It's, it's as simple as that. It's they got to get close to you. You can stay far away and stab them with a spear. And that's it. They're done. You know? Um, however, speaking of the invasion of Persia, um, the second invasion of Persia, after the first one was in 492 B.C., by Dariush, my namesake. <laughs> um, but the second Persian invasion of Greece by Xerxes the First. You seen three hundred? No. It's the one in three hundred. Oh, okay. Uh, that generally, as most historians agree, that spells the end of the archaic period of Greece. After Dariush the First's failed invasion of Greece ended at the Battle of Marathon, a enormous Greek victory. Herodotus. Um, Writes there were six and a half thousand Persians killed to two hundred and three Greeks. <laughs> right, uh, King Xerxes sought to expand the Persian Empire and conquer all of Greece, so he moved through Macedon and Thrace. Um, he, uh, this second invasion is famous for the Battle of Thermopylae from three hundred, the <laughs> Battle of Plataea, and the Battle of Artemisium. If you want to look at, look them up, they're very interesting. It brought about. The rise of the Athenian state as a superpower in Greece after these invasions, and the formation of the Delian League, an alliance between about 150 to 300 individual city states, yes. whose purpose was to continue fighting the Persians. Um, so, the next period that comes is the classical period of ancient Greece, and it's predominantly seen and experienced by historians from an Athenian perspective as they had the most kind of written works, and there's the most history written about it by the Athenians. Okay. Um, it also brought about the Peloponnesian War between Athens and Sparta, which we'll talk about next time. Yes. Um, and fighting between Greece and Persia over Thrace and uh, Macedon, and the subsequent annexation of most of Greece by Persia. And, yeah. So that's the classical period of Greece that we have to look forward to next episode. Because unfortunately, we're an hour and 20 minutes in. Well, let's call it an hour and five with the stuff I've got to cut down. Fair enough. And, um, yeah. So that's the archaic period of Greece, RJ. There we are. That's that's quite nice. It's like I say nice. It, it It's one of those things, again, where um, it seems to happen... It, it, it seems to happen more in the... The stranger, the the, the non 
I would say, um, I know it's West, but still Western mm. kind of mentality for us with... Um, it's it's pre-West East. Yeah. It's like the first so culture. You see a lot of stuff that's reflective of, say, like our society mm-hmm. now, where, as I said earlier about our government with... Um, like the tyrant kind of situation where mm-hmm. it's not apples and apples kind of thing that it, there are obvious differences, yeah. but the basis of a lot of stuff is definitely still there. You see a lot of the things that are repeated mm-hmm. through history because those who don't know if I met are destined to repeat it, but also there's a lot of history out there. Mm-hmm. Humans are going to fall into a, a same kind of tr- track kind of thing. Like I do, I do imagine if you're not born of that area kind of thing, there is a classist kind of, attitude about it as well as um people not we are greek we mm-hmm. are individual areas kind of thing like welsh scottish I- uh, irish and uh english mm. or british for them we'll call it well for you i should say yeah uh, i suppose you're yeah. british as well whether you like it or not oh see i it, it makes my skin crawl it is interesting to see the parallels between the first modern civilization in history and every modern civilization since yeah it is it's it's shocking and very interesting Mm -hmm. so thank you very much once again okay james to for bringing that to the table and thank you you, alex for doing all that research first yeah i was thanking him for bringing it to the table because people should be thanked for bringing things to the table what you do with that work makes it art thank you oh that's so kind of you so kind (laughs) i want to take this time to remind you that i don't know history and all the other exceptional podcasts uh, hosted by Popmage. the gentleman opposite me, RJ, oh. and all the other uh, various cast of characters are available on podmage.com. A, a different, different kind, kind of, of casting. casting. Podcasts such as Dead Air, hosted by the wonderful Portia McGrath and Bethan, I don't know her last Jones. name, I'm afraid, Bethan Jones. Sorry, Bethan, <laughs> if you're listening. Uh, as well as... Kaparaj, hosted by... RJ. The, the, the very magnificent RJ Davis. With various hosts. And also, coming soon, 69 movies hosted by Tom Stickler and myself. Can we can we audibly say lol after you say 69 movies every time? Lol. 69 movies? Lol. lol. <laughs> I was thinking, like, the 69 for 69 movies should be film reels. Uh, with, uh, <laughs> that's excellent yes yeah definitely that's what, I'm, that's what i'm thinking at the minute but we'll see uh to keep up to date with that please follow at Potmish on twitter and instagram because all the stuff gets posted there about uh all the content stuff i am also going to be putting together a youtube channel soon uh for Potmish where all these podcasts will be uploaded uh for easy sharing and yeah because some people prefer stuff on youtube also if you want to Give us money. Oh, yes. The Patreon is finally done. Patreon.com forward slash podmage. There are five different tiers that you can currently donate to. Uh, the first four are bless to blank. So bless is uh, a D&D term uh, where you can bless something, um, obviously. So, But there's bless for each one of the podcasts, and that is $5. Uh, or five pounds. You I get can't to add which a, section a D4 to, to every, all of your ability checks. <laughs> uh, and there's also blessed to Podmage, which is twenty or twenty, uh, yeah, twenty dollars or twenty pounds. Um, and that's for the money goes to each one of the podcasts. We we uh, divide it up evenly across all the podcasts. Or if you want specifically your money to go somewhere and you can't really afford all of that, uh, you get you can just chuck it to the individual one that you want to support. Uh, and that's per month. We're not doing it, doing it per podcast because 
to be fair, some podcasts come out weekly, some come out bi-weekly, and we believe, you know, we want to do this content for you, so just donate whatever you can, because that would be great, because, you know, we we really believe in PodMage. I'd love to do this as my, my day job. Yeah, I me too. I get to learn and be paid for it instead of paying my university to waste my time. Shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> you want to wrap this up, my dude? Yeah, thank you once again for listening to I Don't Know History. Uh, if you if you love history and are interested in history, please subscribe, leave us a comment, listen to our, our ever-expanding back catalogue, and um, from me, Alex, and from my co-host, RJ, Good goodbye. Bye. I wasn't going to leave it there. I was going to say, like, RJ, bye, or something like that. Um, I've lost my train of thought now. Do you want to redo that bit? <laughs> no, it's okay. Let's leave it in. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye. Five, four, three, two, one.